on the virtual Bible study tonight. We're going to talk about baptism. Is it necessary or is it not? That's a simple question, but it's not got uh, – you'd think a simple question like that would have a unanimous answer, uh, but it's not. It's a hotly debated topic in the religious world. We've dealt with it in the past, but thought it would be good to revisit the subject of baptism again tonight. It does have a simple answer if you look to the Bible and don't try and complicate it. Yeah. Uh, And we'll look to that uh, when we get started here. Uh, We want your comments, and we hope you'll join in. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 9th, 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Welcome back. Thanks, thanks. We had a good good. Guest in your seat last week, but glad that you're here. Yeah, I got to watch most of it. I, where I was, I, I had kind of a flaky internet connection, but I got to watch most of it. And it was really good. And Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, you're back in your seat where you belong tonight. We're glad that you're it's here. It's good to be here. Yeah, and looking forward to hearing from you. We're glad that you're joining us tonight. You're where you need to be on the other end of the line, and we hope you stay that way. And we'd like for you to participate in the program tonight. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview.com and in the chat window to the bottom of your video feed. You can chime in and share your comments with listeners around the world. And uh, they're signing in tonight. Uh, If you're not signed in, do that uh, and participate in the program. Or we'll join, no doubt, as we go along tonight. And if you're listening to us anytime uh, in the archive version on the podcast feed, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Maybe just send us an email and say, hey, I'm listening. Or send us an email with your snail mail address. We'll get you a free bumper sticker. Or if you've got a question about something you've heard on tonight's program or any program, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use to contact us. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Tonight, we're going to talk about baptism, as you said. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, what kind of spurred this on is I came across a, a blog site on the Internet that that dealt with the question, and I referenced the blog site in our update to our update list earlier today. I always tell you, if you don't get that, get on our email list, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, say, put me on the list. To our update list earlier today, I gave the, I gave this link, and I'm not going to give it all. It's really long, but it's at crosswalk.com, crosswalk.com, which is a, which is a, I think, a fairly well-known website closely associated with Baptist churches, uh, and uh, they had a, a quite long article there titled "Is Baptism Necessary for Salvation?" The conclusion they reach is it is not, and so uh, we, our conclusion on that question is it is, and so I thought it'd be good to compare what they said in this blog post to what we believe the Bible teaches concerning baptism. Yep. <clears throat> and so to our update list today, 
I sent out these questions. Number one, comment on these points made in the above met, above referenced blog. Are they true or false? First, the apostles Peter and Paul did not preach baptism was required for salvation. <clears throat> uh, the Bible records many who were saved before or without baptism. And water baptism is not a cause of salvation, but a picture of salvation. We may want to just explain, I think, what they mean by that a little bit more as we get to it. So that was the first part of the of, of the post. The second question was, the above reference blog discusses passages they admit, <coughs> they admit, appear to teach that baptism is required for salvation, but they deny that conclusion. What is the proper understanding of Acts 2.38, Mark 16.16, 16, 1 Peter 3.21, and Acts 22, verse 16. They, those, uh, <clears throat> those, are pro- those are verses they got a problem with. Those are verses that we go to. Those are some of our go-to verses, and they they acknowledge, they appear to teach that baptism is And is they recurring. do some interpretational gymnastics to try and get to explain them away. It's, we'll yeah. look at that. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then finally, the conclusion stated in the blog is this, quote, Water baptism is certainly important and required of every believer, However, the New Testament does not teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. And I asked people to give a comment on that statement. I think that statement itself is somewhat incredible. And somewhat of an oxymoron, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so we'll talk okay. about that when we get to it. All right. 877-381-4567. If you'd like to comment on the phone tonight, uh, looking forward to the discussion, looking forward to hearing from you. So baptism, is it necessary for salvation? So let's start out with the first part that in this blog. And I ask you all to comment about this. The apostles Peter and Paul did not preach baptism was required for salvation. It is quite clear from such passages as Acts 15, Romans 4, that no external act is necessary for salvation. Salvation is by divine grace through faith alone. And several verses there are mentioned. If baptism were necessary for salvation, we would expect to find it stressed whenever the gospel is presented in Scripture. That is not the case. However, Peter mentioned baptism in his sermon on the day at Pentecost, Acts 2.38. However, on his sermon from Solomon's portico in in the temple, Acts chapter 3, Peter makes no reference to baptism but leaks forgiveness of sins to repentance. If baptism is necessary for forgiveness, why didn't Peter say so in Acts 3? Peter never, or excuse me, Paul never made water baptism any part of his gospel presentation. Uh... Paul gives concise summary of his gospel message he preached. There's no mention of baptism in 1 Corinthians 1, 17. He states, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This clearly differentiated the gospel from baptism. Those passages are difficult to understand if water baptism is necessary for salvation. If baptism were a part of the gospel itself, necessary for salvation, what good would it have done Paul to preach the gospel but to not baptize? No one would have been saved. Paul clearly understood water baptism is to be separate from the gospel and hence in no way efficacious uh, for salvation. All right, let's start out with Peter. He says Peter did not preach baptism was required for salvation. But he, he ex, and he'll talk, we'll talk more about this in the second question, but he has to acknowledge that in the very first gospel sermon ever preached, Peter is on record as preaching baptism in Acts 2.38. When when he had preached the sermon on Pentecost and convicted the hearts of the people that they had crucified God's son, it says, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Then Peter said to them, so in response to the question, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I'm telling you, that that is too, uh, you, you have to have help to misunderstand that verse. The, the context, the, the, the question, and this being the answer to the question, uh, he, he says he links, in this blog, the blogger says that he links forgiveness of sin to repentance. Well, we agree. Forgiveness of sins involves repentance. But notice the linkage. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the yep. name of Jesus Christ, yep. for the remission of sins. If you have to repent in order to be saved, you've got to be baptized. Yeah. And you can't get around that. Yeah. You cannot get around that. But now, he says that Peter never preached baptism is required for salvation. And granted, we don't have everything that Peter preached in Acts, but that one pretty much sews it up for me. But, okay, let's just let's let's take that off the table. Peter also wrote, wrote the book. Of first and second Peter and first Peter chapter three verse twenty one says baptism saves us. So how do you say Peter never said that baptism is required for salvation when he wrote it explicitly in first uh, Peter three twenty one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh he, he hangs his hat on the fact that the wording is different in chapter three of Acts from chapter two of Acts. Acts two thirty eight, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. In chapter 3, he's, the parallel statement is, Repent that ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I believe those are parallel statements. And the, and the being converted, repent and be converted, involves the obedience of baptism. I, I, I don't know why you would argue otherwise, unless Peter's contradicting himself, unless Peter's given different answers to the same question. If the answer to the question, what shall we do, is repent and be baptized, then the statement in Acts 3, verse 19, repent and be converted, is the same answer, just worded differently. And the other thing to note here is that repentance is not mentioned every time the gospel is preached in the book of Acts. So he says, well, repentance is required, but it's not even mentioned every time. So we have to take the entirety of what the scriptures teach, and we look just by looking at the book of Acts, we can see what's required. Repentance and baptism are both required. Yeah. And then real quickly, I want to deal with Paul, and then we'll go to what? We've got a number of email responses. We'll go to those, and and if you get in the chat room, uh, comment on these in the chat room. We'll try to pick that up also. But he says, Paul never made water baptism any part of his gospel presentation. I don't think that's true. I would go to the case of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. So the, the the Philippian jailer asked, interestingly, asked almost exactly identically the same question in verse 30. Yeah. He brought them out, said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved in thy house. And they spake, notice, they spake unto him the word of the Lord to all that his house, that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Yeah. How did he know to be baptized? And why would he do it in the same hour of the night? If Paul's presentation to him did not indicate the necessity of baptism, you know, if if if, as I'm sure the blogger would say, baptism is a good thing. We're going to see that in a minute. People should be baptized. But I'll tell you that Paul allowed the Philippian jailer to put his life at risk, taking them out of the prison to be baptized in the same hour of the night. If it's not necessary, if Paul didn't teach him it was necessary, why didn't Paul say, now listen, when this all calms down a little bit, 
you should be baptized. Or why didn't the jailer say to him, hey, Paul, I, I, I love you, man, but I can't get you out of the prison right now. I mean, my, my neck is on the chopping block here if I take you out of the prison. And since it's not necessary, and you indicate it, Paul, you indicate that it's good but not necessary, I don't think we should do this right now. Yeah. It's not a good time. Yeah. Well, the story doesn't make sense if Paul didn't teach him it was necessary for salvation. Paul wasn't teaching the same baptism the Baptists teach because they baptize when it's convenient. And the yeah. middle of the night is not convenient. I don't care how you slice it. Yeah. That's not the way the Baptist would do it. Yeah. They're not following Paul's example there. We've got to get to 1 Corinthians one seventeen Exactly. Because that's where he makes a, a lot of uh, claims here that are just flat out wrong. He says, Christ, where Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, thus clearly differentiating the gospel from baptism. In other, in other words, they're two different things. You know, the gospel is one thing, but the ba- baptism is totally something different because Paul wasn't sent to baptize. In other words, baptism isn't important. Yeah, look at, look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In the immediately preceding verses, Paul is condemning the Corinthians because of their sectarian spirit. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ, verse 12. So they were divided. They were following men. Yeah. And and it is in that context that Paul said, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. He did, well, he did baptize some, okay? But he said, I'm glad I didn't do a lot, that I personally wasn't the baptizer in the case of a lot of you folks, because you've got this problem of following men, and it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, he, he said, uh, he goes on to say, lest, the reason he said that is, lest any should say I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, in the context, that statement, Paul is is affirming, it doesn't matter who baptizes you. It only bab- means it only is important that you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who baptized? So I was sent to preach the gospel. It was. It's not important whether I baptize you or anybody else baptized. The baptizer is not important. And that's that's the context in which he said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach. Yeah, and it goes along with what he wrote in, in later on in chapter 3, verse 6. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Yeah. Paul's only thing Paul could do was preach the gospel. God sent him to do that. Yeah. If people responded and they're baptized, fine. But Paul's objective was to preach the gospel, and I think that's what he's saying there. He's not. He wasn't trying to get people baptized to follow him. In other words, he was just in, trying to preach the gospel. Yeah, Um Let's go to uh, what Kent said in an email. Kent's down in Calhoun, Ooh, we're Georgia. running late here. He says, the statements made in reference to the blog are false. The apostles Peter and Paul did preach that baptism is essential for salvation. Acts 2.38 affirms that baptism is for the remission of sins. In Romans 6, verses 1 through 7, Paul wrote that we are buried with Christ by baptism into death. It was the death of Christ. It was in the death of Christ where he shed his blood. It is in baptism that we meet Christ in his death where the blood was shed. Therefore, it is in baptism that one is saved by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we, we'll catch the rest of that in a minute. Okay. Go Dwight, ahead. Dwight says in Acts 2.38, Peter said two things in this one verse, repent and be baptized. Acts 2.38 is very critical here. Repent and be baptized. Repenting is your change of life and baptism is the, for the remission of sins you have committed. It takes both. Salvation cannot happen with just repenting and baptism, though. One must believe that Jesus is the Son of God and confess that he is that He is. without all of the equation, hearing the word, Romans 10, 17, believing the word, Mark 16, 16, confessing who Jesus is, Romans 10, verse 9, repenting of your past ways, Romans, Acts 2, 38, 
and believing your sins are washed away in baptism. Acts 22.16, one cannot obtain the gift or promise of salvation, uh, I guess, without baptism. As for any sake, saved under... No, that's the second part of that question. Let's hold oh, okay, that okay, okay, okay. Let's save that. Paul's in Washington State. He says the apostles Peter and Paul did not preach baptism was required for salvation. He, that's the, the question. Are they true or false? He's, he's, he says, Peter in Acts 2, answering men and brethren, what shall we do? Preach, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. But in 3.19 said, repent and turn to God. The author uses 3.19 to negate 2.38. Yet later says, Scripture cannot contradict itself. Thus, 3.19 cannot cancel 2.38. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So you got to take them in, in, in unison there. And then he says, Paul, in Acts 15, Galatians 2, verse 16, taught that it is faith in Christ, not circumcision, and the law of Moses, where we are justified. The same is tr- was true of Abraham in Romans 4. And he teaches we are baptized into Christ in Romans 6 and Re- Galatians 3, 27. Yeah. Okay. Great. Mohan in Chicago says both Peter and Paul did preach baptism necessary in Acts 2, 38 for Peter and in Romans 6 for Paul. And Paul himself was baptized for the remission of sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. All right. Thank you for that, Mohan. And then Daniel's down in uh, Florida. He says the apostle Peter in 1 Peter three twenty one, Acts 2, 38, Acts 10, 48, taught baptism is required for salvation. And the apostle Paul in Galatians three twenty seven, Romans 6, 3, and 4, Acts 19, 4, and 5. A lot of verses we're throwing out there tonight. If you uh, need some more of those, uh, send us an email. We can we can provide those to you. But lots of passages uh, here where you can. Sh- yeah. We can did show. you notice how much reference to scripture our emailers did? Yeah. I mean, there's an abundance of scriptures that show that Peter and Paul did preach baptism for the remission of sin. Yeah. All right. We need to get a, a break uh, when we get back. When uh, we get back, the the second part of that was the blogger said. The Bible records many who were saved before and without baptism. I think that's a pretty, uh, we can hit that pretty fast, I think. Okay. Well, do we have examples? You know, that would prove that, that would prove it, wouldn't it? If we could find somebody that was saved without baptism, I might be able to believe what he's saying. Can we do that from the scriptures? Or do we see that everyone who is saved uh, shows references to baptism? Let us know. 877-381-4567. We're back right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist. But only if you have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. 
He who is too busy to pray is busier than God ever intended him to be. You are much poorer with an empty heart than with an empty purse. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program asking, is baptism necessary or is it not? We were talking during the break. There's, a, there's an interesting chart that many have done and, uh, and not too hard to find uh, uh, about conversions in the book of Acts and what is shown as being part of the conversions. And baptism is shown in all but one. It's implied in one, but in all the cases of conversion we read about in Acts, uh, except for one explicitly, it states that they were baptized. Repentance, is it necessary? It's mentioned in three of the of the cases of conversion in the book of Acts. Uh, and yet the author of this uh, blog article wants to say, well, repentance is required. See, it's, it's, it, we see it there in Acts chapter 3, and it's not, baptism is not mentioned in Acts chapter 3, uh, so therefore it's not required. Well, baptism is mentioned in more cases of conversion than repentance. It's mentioned far more than in uh, confession is mentioned, uh, and, and even far more than believing is mentioned explicitly. So are we going to say, well, those aren't required either since they're not mentioned as much? No, it doesn't have to be mentioned. The number of times it's mentioned doesn't matter. It's the fact that it's mentioned, and we need to submit to do it, if it, even if it's in there just once. Eric makes kind of an interesting point in the chat room. He says, can we glean anything from the fact that Jesus, was, though sinless, submitted to baptism, which I think is a, is a uh, kind of a neat observation. I uh, hope I can find this. When, when Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist, uh, oh, I'm going to have to look real quick. Uh, Maybe it's maybe it's in Mark's account. Anyway, Jesus used the expression, it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. Yep. yep. Uh, I can't find it. It's it's in the gospel. It's in one of the gospel accounts. It may be in John. Uh, anyway. The, it is in Matthew. Is it in Matthew? Matthew 3.15. Matthew 3.15. It had to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But in Matthew 3.15... When John objected to Jesus requesting him to be baptized, uh, Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, it's the right thing to do. Jesus said it's the right thing to do. And and that's, you know, if it's a command, then it's the right thing to do. And how can you say, how can how can there be an unnecessary command? Yeah, that's well, that's the last question. You're yeah. going to jump the gun here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You have to do it, but you don't have to do it in order to be saved. Well, oh. what? What? Let's, let's go real quick. The, the second part of that question, the, uh, question, the second part of question one, the Bible records many who were saved before or without baptism. Let me read this. Uh, perhaps the most convincing refutation. Notice he thinks this is the most convincing refutation of the view that baptism is necessary for salvation are those who were saved apart from baptism. The penitent woman, Luke 7, the paralytic man, Matthew 9, the publican, Luke 18, the thief on the cross, Luke 23, all experience forgiveness of sins apart from baptism. I can now go, stop there. I can go farther than that. I, Abraham, Moses, <laughs> Noah, Elijah, none of those, none of those Edic, people. None of those people lived under the New Testament law of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. All of those people that he referenced, including the thief on the cross, 
received that blessing before the gospel went into effect. So I can't argue with any of those. Yeah. So what he said is true. Those people were all saved without baptism. But the law of baptism, Jesus' law concerning the necessity of baptism, wasn't even in effect for any of those people. So that's just all a moot point. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's wasted ink on the page. You wasted the Internet, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, he says, for that matter, we have no record of the apostles being baptized, yet Jesus pronounced them clean of their sins, John 15, 3. Well, we don't. But notice what he acknowledges. We have no record of the apostles being baptized, but we have no record of them not being baptized either. In, in Because I've been asked this question a lot of times. When were the apostles baptized? I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But to argue that they didn't need to do what they were telling everybody else to do seems pretty un- untenable yeah. as a position to take. Okay. So that but doesn't that mean, prove gonna, anything. Yeah, you're going to argue based upon the silence? Well, it they, doesn't say they were, so I'm going to say that we don't have to. It, yeah. doesn't, it, yeah, it, doesn't say, yeah, it doesn't say a lot that they didn't do, but, yeah. you know, so that doesn't prove it. Okay. Uh, it says, now, here's his argument. The Bible also gives example of people who were saved before being baptized, and he references Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius and those with him were converted through Paul, Peter's message, and they were saved before being baptized is evident in their reception of the Holy Spirit mm. and the gifts of the Spirit. This is Acts 10. This is an interesting case, and it may be his best argument in the whole blog, but I think it fails. In Acts chapter 10... You know, Peter came to the house of Cornelius, and in verse 40 says, 44 it says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, uh, fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which were belie- believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now, there's no doubt about it that the Holy Ghost came upon Cornelius and those in his household prior to them being baptized. The leap of logic that's not supported is to argue that that therefore proves that they were saved. You know, uh, throughout the Old Testament, there was... There were, uh, several examples of the Holy Spirit acting upon people. For instance, King Saul. Uh, when King Saul wasn't even being particularly what he ought to have been, he prophesied. You know, And they said, Saul is among the prophets. Uh, the Holy Spirit, Balaam's donkey. The Holy Spirit acted on Balaam's donkey and he spoke. Uh, so, whether that proves someone is saved or not, I think, is is not established. Well, when we look at earlier in chapter 10 of Acts, when the angel came uh, to Cornelius and told him to send for Peter, notice what it said in verse 6. Go send for Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner. This is the New King James Version. Whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Now, if... Cornelius was totally passive, and, Cor- and Peter start- comes in and starts talking, and all of a sudden the Spirit comes on him and he's saved. What did Peter tell him to do? He yeah, didn't do anything. It says, while Peter yet spake, and, 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 when, he, and when Peter uh, retold this in chapter 11, verse 15, he said, as I began to speak. Yeah. And, and so it, in the vision, Cornelius was told, you will be informed about what you must do. Peter hadn't got there yet. 
he, uh, in, in regard, he hadn't got to telling him what he must do yet. Right, right. Uh, when he told him what he must do, he must, told him he needed to be baptized. He commanded him to be baptized. That's what he when he told him what he must yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, although I, I would I would grant that the case of Cornelius may come as close to proving his point as anything he's got in the whole blog, I think it falls short. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what our emailers say. All right, here's what Kent says down in Calhoun, Jordan. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find an explicit statement, implication, or nor example indicating that anyone was saved before or, or without baptism. All right, he, he, just, he just makes a blanket uh, uh, statement, which I think is true. And he, uh, Dwight says, as for any saved under the new law, none. If one is referring to the thief on the cross, he lived and died under the old law, which did not include baptism for salvation. Baptism puts us in touch with the blood of Christ. It's only at that point we'll walk in a new life. Our new life as a Christian begins with birth into Christianity, and that is done through baptism, referencing Romans chapter 6. Thank you, Dwight, for that. Paul in Washington State says the examples cited in the blog were during Jesus' ministry. Jesus had power on earth to forgive sins, proving his claims by his miracles, Mark 2, verse 7 through 10. The author does not understand the effects of the cross and the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, 20, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. I think you're right, Paul. And uh, Mohan uh, says, um, after the cross, it does not indicate anyone was saved without baptism, and no sinner's prayer was used for conversion. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. You know, so I would have, this guy would probably ascribe to the sinner's prayer. I don't know for sure. But where in the world do we ever read about a sinner's prayer in the Bible? And yet that's so uh, incredibly popular today, it's unbelievable. And Daniel in Florida says, it's a true statement that the Bible records many who were saved before without baptism. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, to name a few. They were not told to be baptized for salvation. We have been commanded in Mark sixteen sixteen. how we how should we then live? Uh, so I think I think Daniel has got a good point there. And you made that point earlier as well, Jacob. There's okay. lots of people who were saved without baptism, and, but not us. And Dwight. And Michelle are in the chat room tonight, uh, Dwight in Iowa, uh, although he's messed us up. Uh, they've signed in as Dwight and Michelle now, so I don't know if this is Dwight or Michelle, but whoever made the comment made a good one. Paul or Saul had a vision in Acts 9, verse 11 and, verse, and 12, and he wasn't saved yet. Yeah. So We he, were just studying that in our Wednesday night class last night, and I think Dwight and Michelle were watching online. Paul believed and was praying and fasting. And yet he was commanded to be baptized to wash away his sins. Yeah. Yeah. All, right. All right. Let's take our let's take our uh, bullet point break. We're going to have to hurry when we get back, Jacob. Water baptism is just a picture of salvation. It's not a, it's not the cause of salvation. It just pictures your salvation. What what are we going to say about that? All right. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to continue and go fast after this week's bullet point. Wow. It isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Some skeptics claim that there was a gradual evolving of thought concerning the scriptures and that only after a long period did these writings come to be regarded as an authoritative source. That simply is not true. When the inspired men of the first century wrote, the product of their work was immediately acknowledged and accepted by those in the church. They, quote, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, unquote, Acts 2.42, and they received those teachings, quote, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, unquote, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. These writings were scripture before the ink had dried. The word scripture is used about 50 times in the New Testament and always refers to the written record of the will of God. Thus, the word scripture can be accurately applied to things found in both the Old and New Testaments. 
Certainly there was a gradual process of spreading and distributing these writings around the world, Colossians 4, verse 16. Ultimately, there was a compiling of these works into one book. There is actually some evidence that compilations of the various books that make up our New Testament began as early as 115 A.D., perhaps only a few years after the death of the last apostle. But the actual writings were regarded as Scripture immediately. Paul, writing in about 65 A.D., quotes Luke's gospel and refers to it as Scripture. See 1 Timothy 5.18 and Luke 10, verse 7. Peter, in 66 A.D., mentions Paul's writings and calls them Scripture, 2 Peter 3, verse 16. We know that the inspired writings of the first century were widely circulated among Christians of that time. See Colossians 4.16 and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 27. It is clear that those earliest Christians held the sacred writings in highest esteem and regarded them as the basis of their religious authority. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. We're back on the program. Reminding you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And those meeting times on our website are 100% accurate now. Uh, you can uh, join us uh, there in person. Or, Kyle, if you're not in the Columbia, Tennessee area, you are doing your part to get it out on the World Wide Web. Yeah, which we're uh, back to doing uh, three uh, services, which have our morning Bible study, then our morning lesson, and the evening lesson. So you catch us three times a day, and, of course, on Wednesday and virtual Bible study. We'd love you to come visit, though. So, But, yeah. Yeah, we're getting it out there. All right. So uh, find out again. Our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you've never been there, check it out. And again, we'll tell you if you want to if you have any comment or just want to tell us you're out there listening, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you talking about baptism tonight, asking if it is required for salvation. And we're looking to the scriptures. The scriptures are pretty clear uh, in about the necessity of baptism. And we want to hear from you tonight. Here's what the blogger says about baptism is not the cause of salvation, but a picture of salvation. And I didn't think he wrote this up very well. I think I've heard this point expressed more concisely by others. But he says it's possible that to a first century Jewish audience, the idea of baptism might incorporate both the spiritual reality and the physical symbol. In other words, when one spoke of baptism, he usually meant both ideas, the reality and the ritual. Peter is shown to make a strong connection between these two uh, in chapters 10 and 11 of Acts when he recounts the conversion of Cornelius and his friends, pointing out that at the point of their conversion, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. After he had seen this, he declared, surely no one can refuse water for those to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. But he interestingly leaves off the statement where Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Uh, usually when people are making this point, they're going to use 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. That's a verse we're going to talk about more uh, in the last part of our study. But uh, in 1 Peter three twenty-one, Peter says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And so people say, it's just a figure. It's, it's just a, a, it's just a, a picture of what has taken place in your spiritual Reality. The spiritual reality is that you've been saved, and baptism is a figure or a picture of that, which actually is a total misrepresentation of what the verse that says. That verse wouldn't even make sense if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the verse is saying, the, the previous verse talks about Noah. Uh, God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. 
And that is the type. Newer versions actually use that terminology. And the antitype, in other words, it was a symbol. And the reality is salvation by water baptism in verse 21. Yeah. So here's what Kent said. In 1 Peter 3, 21, it does not state that, nor imply that baptism is a picture of salvation. The term used is that of antitype. The flood was a type of New Testament salvation, a shadow or a picture. Baptism is an antitype, a reality that saves us. Thank you, yeah. Kent, for your email tonight. Yeah, we we had a whole program one time when we talked about types and antitypes. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. You yeah. ought to go back. Yeah. I think it's a really powerful uh, proof of, of inspiration when yeah. you look at the, those uh, separated by thousands or hundreds and thousands of years, yeah. and yet uh, those pictures work so well together. Paul says uh, to say that baptism is a picture does not change the fact that it's commanded, Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, wash away sins, Die, died in Christ, buried, raised to walk a new life. These are pictures of forgiveness and salvation. Born again, new birth, John 3, is also a picture. This does not mean it's not necessary. I thought that was an interesting well, take. Oh, that's good. Okay, so it's a picture. Doesn't mean it's not necessary. It helps us understand. It's symbolic. These, yeah. these pictures help us understand what's going on. It's, it's like a death, burial, and resurrection. It's like being born again. These are these are word pictures that help us understand baptism. <laughs> They help us understand the necessity of baptism. Yeah, right. All right. Mohan says baptism is not described anywhere as just a picture, but the actual participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you, Mohan, for that. All right. And uh, finally, uh, Daniel uh, says, uh, references Romans 6, verses 3 through 11, in the likeness of his death we are buried, in the likeness of his resurrection we are raised, that we may not that we may die to sin and be made free from sin we, and actually rise to walk in newness of life. This is a picture, but that does not mean it isn't real or that you don't have to obey. He references John 3, verse 5. So he brings in all those points that you that were made previously. And yeah. Excellent, excellent comment. Good, good, good job. I hadn't good thought job. about that angle on yeah, it, but yeah. it certainly is a good one. Yeah, I, I hadn't either. I, it, it, that kind of strikes me as, as really good reasoning. To say it's a picture and therefore it's not not necessary, that doesn't follow. Yeah, it's a picture. It is that symbolic. helps us understand the necessity. It absolutely, it absolutely is symbolic, 100. Yeah. percent And God says it is symbolic, but He says we have to do it. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So we're ready for the for the second part of the blog. The above reference blog discusses passages that they admit appear to teach that baptism is required for salvation, but they deny the conclusion. So what is the proper understanding? We're going to go through these one at a time. The first one is Acts 2:38. Well, you get his explanation of it there? Yeah. Here's his explanation of Acts 2.38. In Acts 2.38, Peter appears to link forgiveness of sins to baptism, but there are several plausible interpretations of this verse that do not connect forgiveness of sin with baptism. It is possible to translate the Greek preposition ice, repent and be baptized for, the word for is from the Greek word ice, E-I-S, Yep. You can translate that because of or on the basis of instead of for. Yep. Uh, and he says it's used that way in Matthew 3.11, 12.41, Luke 11.32. Okay. It is possible to translate it that way, but that's not what it means in Acts 2.38. Because in Acts 2.38, it, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If baptism, if that is to be read, be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins. That's what he wants it to mean. He wants it to mean be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, because you've had your sins forgiven. 
If that's true, in that very verse, then you also repent because your sins have already been forgiven. Right. If, if baptism comes after because of the remission of sins, then repentance comes after. Yeah. And he doesn't believe that. Yeah. He's not going to go there. Yeah. You know, I actually did know one, one Baptist fella who took the position that, that you do repent because your sins have been forgiven. Mm. But that's not typical. No. And it's not the scriptures teach. And what's interesting is that that identical phrase is in Matthew 26, verse 28. When Same Jesus, Greek words. It's exact. In the Greek, the, the, the letter for letter, it's the same in English, but it's also exactly the same in Greek. Jesus, when he was instituting the Lord's Supper, said, This is the blood of, my, of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's ice. That's E-I-S. For. So did Jesus... Was Jesus' blood shed because remission of sins had already been accomplished, or was it shed in order to make it possible? Well, we all know the answer to that question. And that's the same phrase over here. Baptism is for or unto, for for the purpose of obtaining the remission of sins. Kent says, Acts 2.38 affirms that both repentance and baptism are equally related to the remission of sins, such as demonstrated by the conjunction and. Whenever... Whatever the purpose of repentance is, the same applies to that of baptism. Standard New Testament Greek lexicons identify the preposition related to both repentance and baptism as being the term ice, such as always used in the accusative case and only points forward, thus may only be translated as for, unto, in order to. That thing, that's, that's getting a little deeper in the Greek, and Kent's got it there. The, the, the case, the accusative case, means it could not look backwards. It has to be looking forward. Repentance and baptism is for unto in order to the remission of or forgiveness of sins. Notice Matthew twenty six twenty eight. Christ did not shed his blood because of the remission of sins. He shed his blood in order to the remission of sins. So thank you for that, Kent. Paul in Washington State says in Acts two thirty eight for the remission of sins means in order to receive, not because of. And he he encourages compare to Matthew twenty six twenty eight, which we just did. I think you're right, Paul. He goes on to say, repent if you baptized. Why is repentance necessary? In that, in that expression, why is repentance necessary but not baptism when they're joined by the and? Absolutely. And Dwight says uh, these people just asked what they had to do to make their lives right for putting Jesus to death. Peter told them that in order to obtain forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, they needed to repent and be baptized, emphasizing the and there again. Yeah. Uh, Mohan says... Uh, I'm not sure that that goes directly to any of these verses, Mohan's statement. Just well, read it. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. It says, The scriptures are straightforward, but many in the evangelical community cannot even agree among themselves what these all mean. For example, some believe they refer to the Holy Spirit baptism. Some believe in the baptism in Acts were only for the Jews, etc. I heard there are about five different interpretations in the evangelical world on Acts 2.38 itself. Very confusing out there. Also, some make false accusations like in the Baptist church that those who believe baptism is necessary believe that just because someone took a shower that morning, they are considered saved. So Mohan is sort of confused as to how there could be so much confusion. And I have to agree with Mohan. There shouldn't be so much confusion because the verses just simply aren't that complicated unless you want to try to show them to mean something that they don't. Then it does get complicated and you've got to do some of these uh, finaglings and these uh contortions to make it work yeah and i think that's a good word contortions daniel just says can you ignore a command of an inspired apostle good question i think no okay all right let's take the next one mark 16 16 
The blogger says, this is a verse often quoted to prove baptism is necessary for salvation. It actually is proof of the opposite. Notice that the basis for condemnation in that verse is not the failure to be baptized, but only the failure to believe. Okay. Baptism is mentioned in the first part of the verse because it was the outward symbol that always accompanied the inward belief. Um, well, <laughs> okay, so let's give him that point. To be condemned, you have to just not believe. All right, so let's look at the verse. What do I need to do to be saved? Yeah. It says believe and be baptized. Yeah. Okay. So, so I want to be lost. What do I have to do? Don't believe. That's what, I I, want to be that's sa- what it says. Don't believe. Okay. Got I it. want to be saved. What do I need to do? But it says believe and be baptized. But he's <laughs> going to say all you got to do is believe. I'm telling you, these verses are so straightforward, you have to have a help to misunderstand them. Right. Okay. Well, here's what Kent says. Mark 16, 16 connects both belief and baptism as essential to salvation. Faith only advocates attempt to argue that the text does not say that those who are not baptized will be condemned. Such is construction in the such is construction in the sentence is not necessary. Faith is a condition of baptism. If one is not a believer, one cannot scripturally be baptized. He couldn't if he would, and wouldn't if he could, and <laughs> wouldn't do him any good if he did. <laughs> Woo! Note a parallel statement. He that eats food and digests it shall live, but he that does not eat food will die. One does not have to specifically state that those who do not digest food will die, the reason being that the eating that eating food is a condition to that of digesting such. If one does not eat get food, that. digestion cannot take place. Did you get that? I mean, yeah. everybody understands that. Yeah. If one does not believe, one is already condemned. Those of the faith-only uh, position do not understand that two concepts are under consideration in the passage, salvation and condemnation. In order to be saved, one must both believe and be baptized. In order to be condemned, all one must do is to refuse to believe. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think it's so straightforward. That Paul... uh, except it wasn't straightforward that if it would, he could, couldn't. Uh, that wasn't straightforward. <laughs> uh, Paul says, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Belief and baptism lead to being saved, but refusing to believe makes baptism irrelevant. I think that's true. You didn't have to say anything. To, uh, the unbeliever is obviously not going to be baptized either. He doesn't believe. He's not going to repent. Yeah. And, 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 well, and the blogger says you got to repent. That's obvious, right, Kyle? But... It didn't say you had to do there. So, okay. Uh, Dwight says, Mark 16, 16, here the disciples were told to do something. That something was to go preach the gospel to all creation. The hearer's re- responsibility was to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. This was inspired teaching from God. Believing is important for us to understand we need to be baptized. For without believing, we would not be willing to be baptized. John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. And finally, Daniel says, Mark sixteen sixteen baptism is connected with belief for salvation. No belief means condemnation. But a belief and no baptism is not obeying the command. Good point. The the verse is a command. We need to get a break. When we get back, we've got to talk about 1 Peter 3.21, Acts 22.16, and then baptism is important, but... It's required. And required, but it's not necessary for salvation. All right. We'll talk about that when we get back. We're going to go fast. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study... Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. 
Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. In his recent book, The Character Gap, How Good Are We? by Wake Forest philosophy professor Christian Miller, he cites studies that correlate regular church attendance with around 50% lower levels of domestic violence, 350% higher levels of donation to charity, and 200% higher levels of volunteering. He also notes that religious people are far more likely to donate blood, help the homeless, and express empathy for those less fortunate. That information is via the Gospel Coalition. The Word of God says in Mark 12, beginning verse 28, And one of the scribes came and asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about baptism and ask if it's necessary for salvation or not. We have a blog here, a blog post that says it is not, and we're looking at uh, why this does not align with what the Scriptures teach on baptism. All right, so he he admits that there, I thought it was a really, really interesting point. He says there are some passages that appear to teach that baptism is required for salvation, but it, but they appear to, but they don't really. We've talked about Acts 2.38. We've talked about Mark 16.16. 16. The next one he mentions is 1 Peter 3.21. He says, water baptism does not seem to be what Peter has in view in 1 Peter 3.21. The English word baptism is simply a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. Baptizo does not always refer to water baptism in the New Testament. We understand that. So Peter's not talking about immersion in water as the phrase, not the removal of the dirt of the flesh indicates. He's referring to immersion in Christ's death and resurrection through the appeal to God for a good conscience or repentance. Again, it's not the outward act that saves, but the inward internal reality of the spirit's regenerative work. Now, that's interesting because I don't I don't know that I've ever run across somebody who actually tries to take water baptism out of First Peter 3.21 <laughs> yeah. and say that it's a baptism because you know there there is a baptism of suffering a baptism of fire you right. know there the, yeah, the, the word is used to, yeah. uh, about other things we yeah. we understand that so he's saying that he doesn't even think water baptism is uh in first peter 321 because it mentions that it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward god so so what? it can't be water there because it's not c- putting c- away the flesh yeah we don't. We don't. When we baptize people, it's not for the purpose of cleaning their body. You don't take dirt. A soap and a washcloth in with you. No, uh, he, he, and that's what Peter's saying here. It's not the. It's not just taking a bath. It's when you engage in the act of baptism with as an uh, uh, answer of a good conscience toward God. It's when we, from the heart, respond to that command that it's effective. It's not just the physical act of getting wet. That's what he's saying. It's not just a physical act of good way, but when the when when we engage in baptism with the answer of a good conscience toward God, for the answer of a good conscience toward God, that makes it work. Yeah. And so uh, I think I, I I don't think he gets his job done there in First Peter three twenty one. First First Peter three twenty one is talking about water. I mean, the context, the previous verse was the water of the flood of Noah. 
And this is the like figure. Yeah. Not, it's, yeah. yeah that, was the, that was the type, and the antitype is baptism. If the type was the waters of the flood, then the antitype must be the waters of baptism. First Peter 3.21, Kent says, affirms that water baptism is an antitype of the flood and that such an antitype that brings salvation. Um, and then Paul in Washington State says, Noah and eight souls were saved by water. In like manner, baptism also now saves us. Not baptism alone, not as Noah by faith built the ark and was saved from the flood. At Hebrews 11, verse 7, we believe and obey Jesus in baptism and are saved. Why not just accept it? Noah did not question the need for the ark. Good question, good question there, Paul. Appreciate your response. Dwight says, here Peter is showing in verse 20 how Noah was saved by water and that baptism does the same for us. Noah was obedient to God and did what he was told and was saved with his family. We are told here that baptism saves us also. And it is done by our response to what the Lord tells us. We will have a good conscience by being obedient to him in all things, including baptism. And Daniel's got a good kind of summary of this. He says, the figures between Noah's salvation and our salvation one physical, the other spiritual. But both were real salvations, both using water and obedience to God's commands. Okay. Thank you for that. All right. We need to move fast. And then finally, the last of the verses that he mentions, uh, the last way he mentioned Romans 6 and Galatians 3, but he didn't go into any detail, so we just skipped that. But he mentions Acts 22.16. Acts 22.16. now why tarriest thou, rise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here, Paul recounts the words of Ananias to him following his experience on the Damascus Road. Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It is best to connect the phrase, wash away your sins, with calling on his name. If we connect it with be baptized, the Greek participle Please pronounce calling, that. I'm not going to okay. pronounce it. The, the Greek participle Trans, uh, translated calling would have no antecedent. Paul's sins were washed away, not by baptism, but by calling on his name. Again, I don't. Uh, that doesn't. That doesn't work. Uh, I, I believe that in Acts twenty-two verse sixteen, we have the, we have a, an explanation of how you call on the name of the Lord. You call on the name of the Lord in obedience. Uh, so Acts twenty-two verse sixteen. When Paul was told, why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The calling, you call on the name of the Lord in the act of obedience, including baptism. I think that's seen also in the, in the reference we made earlier in Acts 16 to the Philippian jailer. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house. Well, how, uh, so what's involved in that belief? Well, they went on and baptized in the same hour of the night. So to believe, to call on the name of the Lord, involves responding in obedience to the commands, including baptism. And just the language there, washing away your sins is connected with calling on the name of the Lord, as if there's some, that's it, what you're supposed to say, Jesus, you're supposed to say his name? What, what does that mean, for one, like you mentioned? But washing... Sure seems like it'd be connected with baptism. There's water involved there. Yeah, the symbolism yeah, there yeah. doesn't uh, doesn't line up. Yeah. Uh, Acts 22.16, Kent says, affirms that baptism as a condition stands between the sinner and being washed from sin. He references Revelation 1, verse 4. Exactly. Paul in Washington State, uh, why do you wait? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. Saul was told that in Damascus he would be told what to do, and that's what he that's did. That's a good point. He, he said on the road... The Lord said to, to Saul, 
going to Damascus said, we told thee what thou must do. Well, what was he told to do? Be, wash away thy sins, be baptized, wash away thy sins. Yeah. Yep. Dwight says Paul here was telling of his conversion. He was not saved on the road to Damascus. It was going to be told him what he must do. Ananias was the one to tell Saul of Tarsus, Paul, what he needed to do, to be what needed to be done. First thing was to have his sins washed away, and that was done through baptism. Paul here had already believed, and if he was saved, he was saved with his sins still hanging over him. Yeah. Good point. And and Daniel says, if it isn't necessary, then why not wait? Why? Ananias says, why tarriest thou? Yeah. Well, Paul says, well, it's not necessary anyway. We'll do it on the first Sunday of the month. Yeah. Ananias' statement suggests urgency. But if it's not necessary, there's no urgency. Yeah. Good, good point. All right. Now, the last point he made, and we're just about out of time. The, the, blog, the blog concludes, this is the last statement in the blog, water baptism is certainly important and required of every believer. However, the New Testament does not teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, I, th- this guy is not the first one that I've ever heard of to make that kind of a statement, but I don't understand it. It's self-contradictory. You use the word oxymoronic, which means self-contradictory. It's important, but notice, it's required. Baptism, so just just take that. Baptism is required of every believer. However, the New Testament does not teach it's necessary for salvation. It's it's a requirement, but it's not necessary. <laughs> well, that's what Kent said. He said, how could baptism be important and required of every believer if such was not essential to our salvation? To make a statement saying that such was not essential to salvation would be equal to stating that baptism is an optional command. Such would constitute a logical contradiction to have an optional command. Exactly. All right. Paul says uh, that it is ironic this author goes to such lengths to disprove that water baptism is necessary or required for salvation. Then in closing admits, of course, baptism is required of every believer, yet gives no scripture for this admission. Where does he find that water baptism is required for every believer but not required for salvation? He asserts it without any uh, proof. Agreed. Dwight says, every version conversion of the book of Acts is backed with baptism, except for maybe one uh, where it's implied. Look at the Ethiopian eunuch. Even after having Philip talk to him, his first request was to be baptized. With that, the eunuch was and then on, was and then went on his way rejoicing. He rejoiced because he was put into a safe condition. His sins had been washed away. He learned of Christ and came into contact with the blood of Christ through baptism. We get into Christ through baptism, Galatians, th- Galatians 3.27. Belief is important. Faith is important, but without confession repentance and baptism do not show that we love the lord just because one believes in god does not save him the demons believe and tremble james 2:16 and daniel references hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 this is more a question of obedience uh, uh, jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all who what obey him obey him there you go eric in the chat room says required equals necessary equals a command i think that's right um you know, just think if you heard that terminology. So you got a teenager, and he wants his driver's license. What's required? Well, for instance, one of the requirements, it's required to be 16 years old to get a driver's license. But it's not necessary. Well, that wouldn't even make any sense. So we take a 13-year-old over there to get a driver's license, and and, and, the, and the guy at the driver's license branch says, he's not 16. That's a requirement. Yeah, I know it's a requirement, but I don't think it's necessary. Well, he said, I'm here to tell you it is necessary. Those, those terms are the same. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you for that, Eric. Um, 
we went fast tonight. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about a lot of verses. Someone may be listening and want some more information sure. or detail. Send us an email or give us a call. We could, we'd love to talk about it in more detail. Yeah. yeah. All right. And you mentioned that, that chart uh, uh, about the cases of conversion in the book of Acts that show baptism in every one of them. Yeah. With, with one implied, not not directly stated, but directly stated in all but one. Uh, if you'd like to get a copy of that, we, we can we can make that possible. Yeah. All right. So that that negates this idea that he says well, baptism is not re- mentioned in every time the gospel is preached, so it's not necessary. Well, that that's for refutes that argument. Uh, but we'd love to talk with you in more detail. If you disagree, we'd love to talk with you about that. We would even love for you to come on the program and talk with us about it. You can do that over phone, over Skype, or you can even come and do it in person. Uh, we'd love to just talk about this and, uh, and both uh, all of us come to a, a common understanding of what the scriptures teach. So if you're willing to do that, we'd love to hear from you on that. But again, contact us if you've got questions, you disagree. Uh, we went fast tonight, Kyle. It is sort of a blur there, but, um, I think it's uh, very important that we talk about this. It is. I think it's a, uh, it's a essential study. I think it's, I'm glad, uh, you know, it's a good doctrinal subject we're getting, uh, we're discussing tonight. So I think it's a good, uh, it's necessary, uh, especially during any time, no matter what time, uh, whatever is going on in the world, we need to make sure we're, that baptism is necessary for salvation. So. Yeah, we've been kind of distracted with all this coronavirus business, but <clears throat> basic Bible doctrines are essential. We've got we to gotta concentrate on them. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, uh, good discussion tonight, Dad. Thanks uh, for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for being a part of it, and we hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We have make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.